Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the VolQuest.com Blue Water Climate Control Podcast. Glad to have you on this Rocky Top Rewind Edition. Today, we're going to look at the 1992 Florida game, and I'm joined by Austin Price, Jesse Simonton, and Rob Lewis. And uh, guys, it's interesting that when you talk about this game and you look back in the history of this game, Austin, it, it has a it has a real significance for a lot of reasons when you talk about this thing. Yeah, it sure does, Brent. I, you know, I kind of got things started, you know, for, you know, Tennessee building towards 98. I mean, they just beat Georgia the week before they, they get this win, uh, you know, in what was a sunny day early and then turned into a monsoon late uh, against Florida. Now they didn't capitalize on that year. Honestly, you know, reminded you a lot of that 2016 year where Tennessee Got a win against Georgia and Florida and then squandered it with losses to South Carolina late in the year. Um, you know, but th- th- this is a Tennessee team that started to really build over the next few years toward what would be, the, of course, that epic uh, 45 and 5 run through the uh, middle to late part of the decade. Rob, what do you remember about that game? I didn't remember that. I was in the building that day and I did not remember it being that sunny early as, as, as we were watching it. Um, that, that, that I mean, I, I I remember the rain for sure. I do not remember that much sunshine. But uh, you know, I, that that's that's I mean, kind of the thing that, that that just jumped out at me immediately. I mean, just you know, not talking about the game itself, but the atmosphere of the, the day. You know, the amazing thing about that is it literally five minutes from the stadium did not rain. I mean, less than five miles from the it never did rain. Like at the radio station back then, at the the Vol Network station. Is down kind of behind Whole Foods next to um, El Charo there at the top. Of, is that El Charo at the top of the hill, whatever that Soccer is? Soccer Taco. Soccer Taco, sorry. It never rained there. But then it, like, got over top of the stadium and, and never left. And in it's reality, hard. yeah, in reality, Jesse, it was a huge advantage for Tennessee because they had the lead there, and there was no way that with Eric Rett out for Florida, no way Florida was going to be able to line up in that weather and throw it to try to catch up. So, it was like a godsend rain for Tennessee. Now, yeah, you guys come from this game from a totally different perspective. I'd never seen this game. I knew that this was because yeah, you were kicking season. slats out of your cribs at the time well, when this I, game took place. Not, but I also knew that this was just historically. You're not wrong on that, but I knew historically <laughs> that this is the year that Fulmer pulled the switcheroo. You know that you know he he gets credited with a four and zero record. Johnny gets credited with a five and three record. And and I had heard the lore of of you know the the, the monsoon and and whatnot. Go, I, I it was it was fun as hell watching this game. Just a kind of you know I, we'll talk about it, laughing about it. The, the broadcast, the link that Hub sent was not the, the Brent Musburger uh, Musburger ABC uh, link. It was the link to the uh, Sports Channel Network, which was kind of like the home channel for Florida, which was hilarious listening to those announcers. But not only the rain, you, you watch Shane Matthews, who was pretty terrible in that game, Eric Rett being hurt. I got to say, the biggest thing that jumped out of me just watching the game in terms of an isolated one-game deal was, man, Todd Kelly Sr. looked like Reggie White that day. He was unbelievable in that game. And, and honestly, because Florida had to go to all these empty backfields, because Rett was hurt, he was able to dominate. And, you know, I mean, I was just tallying – you know, on my own. I mean, he had a two sacks, at least like six pressures. I mean, it was ridiculous what he was able to do that day, just from a one-game standpoint. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean you had multiple guys in that game, uh, guys. I, you know, not just you know TK Senior who was phenomenal, but I, you know Ben Talley, Shane Bonham, 
Um, this is a Tennessee defense that got after the Tennessee special teams. They was able to get, get after it, get that early block punt, and uh, that led to the first, uh, you know, he shooter touchdown. What's crazy about Todd Kelly's game, though, too, if you if for all these the, the ball questers that are going to go back and watch this game later today or remember every play, he gets thrown on his butt on like the third play of the game by Florida's freshman. Uh, Reggie Green and, and the, the, their broadcast was like bragging on him because he was like this 330 pound freshman, you know, some some hot shot recruit. He just gets TK gets shoved on a draw play early in the game. Pretty much after that play, he gave Green and the rest of that O line the business and and was just it was fun to watch. I mean, especially because you know they they alluded to it a bunch in the broadcast. Tennessee had given up something like 700 yards or close to it the weekend before, even in the upset at Georgia. So it was a defense that was kind of still on its heels. Uh, and then you had, you know, a little – Hubs knows him even better than me, but, you know, I, I've gotten to know J.J. McCleskey a little bit. And the fact that he was out there at 170 pounds playing strong safety <laughs> was kind of remarkable. Well, it just went to show you, Rob, kind of the depths of, of this team and what, what they were going through at that point. I mean, you had, you had this new coaching staff who was playing Lucy Goose, and, and they would – you know, they, they were playing with house money, okay, because Coach Majors was going to come back at some point. They, they they knew that he was planning on coming back. So they were going to cut it loose and kind of be opposite of him. He was conservative, Coach Majors, and here Tennessee's out there. They're going to throw it around, but they're also going to move guys around and do some things that they wanted to do that maybe couldn't be done with Coach Majors there. And as a result of that, you got guys like J.J. McCleskey playing on the other side of the ball from one week to the next week. And it was just – it was a little bit of house money, so you could be pretty um, non-conservative, if you will, when it comes to, to your player personnel directing. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of wonder if, if Charlie Garner would have been on the field that quick with Coach Majors, but I kind I, I kind of think he would have because talent, you know, wins out at the end of the, end of the day. But you're talking about Aaron Hayden and James Stewart, who were both coming off pretty good years, and then Charlie Garner comes in, and you know, I guess Aaron started that day, and but Charlie was. That, that's one of the things that jumped out at me. I mean, I remember Charlie really well. Golly, I don't, I, I maybe had, how, how good he was has maybe faded a little bit. But that, that, when you're talking about personnel, that, that one really stood out. I mean, the, the quickness <laughs> that, 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 that came through pretty clear even on a non-HD playback. Yeah. And he got better as the, he got better as the rain started falling harder. Oh, yeah. And just real, real quick, you're talking about the coaching staff, Lucy Goosey and all that. Anybody else? I watched the ABC playback, and I don't know if, he, if any of you guys did, but Brent Musburger made a comment about halfway through that, you know, hey, folks, Phil, they have they did a close-up on Philip. He's like, hey, Philip Fulmer's going to be a head coach somewhere someday. <laughs> I got a great chuckle out of that one. Yeah, because it, it was, was only it was a few weeks later. Go ahead, Austin. It, it was interesting to me to listen to the commentators because they would question certain things that, like you know, in today's game, you would never question. Just it was just the difference in football in the early '90s versus now, thirty basically almost thirty years ago. Like you know, just how they would you know, oh, they're about to do this, or what you know, what, you know, I, I just can't you know fathom that they would do this. I mean, there, there was just a certain. You know, I guess just just a different look, uh, different perspective uh, from a commentating standpoint on on how the game was played. Uh, you know, nearly thirty years ago. Well, speak, speaking of thirty years ago, and I, I mean, I may be jump, I may be stepping on something because we're gonna, I know we're going to talk about the biggest plays of the game, but everybody remembers Mose Phillips. I thought the biggest play of the game on rewatch, and I'd forgotten it straight up. 
was Mario Brunson fumbling around the 10-yard line to start the second half. And and, and, and there, the, there's no, I mean, the a clear fumble. And, right. and the whistle, the, the officials blew it dead. Tennessee's ahead 17-7 to at the time. And Florida had a clear recovery. You know, their first and 10 on Tennessee's 12 or so. If we have replay today, I mean, it was, and you know, they, they kind of just blew past it. They, they showed it one time, and that was today, and they'd be breaking it down like a Zapruder film. <laughs> well, and it, go ahead, Jesse. Well, I think he's right. I mean, they would have broken it down like it was the, the, the Zapruder film. I think another funny thing, just last kind of comment and thought on Charlie Garner in terms of how clearly Philip trusted him, not only obviously for that season, he ended up leading the balls in rushing in 92. For the year, uh, but in that game, I mean, there's a play in that game uh, where he runs backwards for almost 20 yards on like that blown reverse. Right. And in today's game, you think Jeremy Pruitt, if 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 Eric Gray or Ty Chandler <laughs> does that, they're getting the next carry because that's what happened in this game. Charlie Garner got the very next carry. I mean, well, and, and that's with Hayden and all these guys sitting right. on the bench. So it, it's pretty remarkable just how much. Philip clearly did trust him, and it paid off. I mean, he had like 90 yards. It's really hard to find a box score for this game, uh, but I did find some, uh, at least a very bare-bones one, could not find a full play-by-play. But, you know, he had 89 yards at the end of the third quarter, finished with well over 100. Florida or Tennessee ran for 250, and and Heath only passed for, you know, 94, and 67 of those were on the one play. So it, it was a lot on the backs of, of, of Charlie and then Heath obviously running in with those two touchdowns. Yeah, the other thing, too, that was interesting, Little Man Stewart didn't play in the first quarter. Uh, he didn't get a carry in the first quarter. I mean, he's, he was kind of the bell cow, supposedly, and Aaron gets the start, and they play Charlie, and then they get to Little Man in the second quarter. Austin, it's just in today's world of, and this is a bigger picture deal, but in today's world of the transfer portal, and you and I have had this conversation with Aaron Hayden, ain't no way all those guys are staying together if we, they're we've all had there. That, I mean, it's pretty, we've had, pretty phenomenal. We've had that conversation with Aaron and James, but with Little Man, when we went down to his workout studio, Studio 33 in Jacksonville, and you're right. I mean, you, you know, it was just a different time then. And, um, you know, you not only had those three guys, you know, eventually that would lead into a room that, that also added Jay Graham a year later and, and had Moe Phillips, uh, who, you know, was, was pretty special in his own right. I mean, you look at two plays for Moe's that are as good as anything you, you know, you've seen. Obviously, the, the play in this game, the 66-yard screen pass, um, and we'll talk to Moe's coming up a little bit later, as long, along with Heath Schuler uh, here in this podcast, but also the run that he made at South Carolina. Uh, to me, John Ward's greatest call that no one ever talks about. Um, you know, in my mind, you had more talent back there, plus Heath, you know, than, you know, you, again, it was pick your poison. Uh, and so – I mean, little man ends up getting in the second quarter. He scores that 15-yard touchdown run. But you're right; it would it would be real easy to, you know, fall. I don't want to say fall out of favor, but just kind of get forgotten about when a guy gets a hot hand. If Aaron gets a hot hand, Charlie gets a hot hand, or, or or little man gets a hot hand, you know, for one of those other guys to get forgotten about. Yeah, I mean, they were unbelievably loaded there. The other thing about this game, by the way, as we as Austin mentioned, this is we're, we're, we've got a little surprise for everybody in these Rocky Top rewinds that. We're going to talk about the game as we're doing here, but then we're going to bring in a player perspective in this in the podcast each week, and you're going to be excited about some of the guys we're going to talk to along the way. But today it's with Moe Phillips, 
and, and with Heath Schuler, we'll catch up with them about this game uh, and the Blue Water Climate Control podcast. Again, if you if you want to know more about Blue Water Climate Control, you can check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. You can visit them on Twitter at at blue h2o underscore climate you can give them a call at 865-299-2290 call and ask them about their smooth sailing service plan it's the best thing in my opinion that they do it's a great plan that you can get on that will keep you up all your stuff you know inspected and ready to go but it also gives you the opportunity that you get prioritized you have after hours needs and all kinds of things going on in their service plan it's a great it's a great thing that they have out there so if you're in the market for that or you need to have your HVAC unit looked at, give Blue Water Climate Control a call and they'll do that. Back to the game right quick, you know, Jesse or whoever wants to jump in here. The domination in the kicking game was really crazy in this game. I think the Florida field goal might have been good early in the game, but really Tennessee dominated in the kicking game. Tom Hutton may not have punted it real well, but Tennessee had the punt return. They blocked the kick. They stopped the fake punt. The, the different, you know, one of the key differences in this game was Tennessee just dominated in the kicking game. And that, yeah, special. <clears throat> Go ahead, Rob. I was, I mean, Ed was, I, I, I was, it was funny hearing him talk about it, or surprising hearing him talking about Edge, you know, Florida's putter, who was, I guess, he was all SEC the year before. Boy, it was not his day <laughs> that day. I mean, what, what did his punts in the first half? It was a shank that uh, Summers returned to. I guess about 17, 18 yards in the Florida 30 set up Tennessee's first touchdown. Uh, you mentioned the block punt. I, I'd forgotten just how, I mean, I remember the block punt. I remember the fake punt, uh, that, you know, kind of desperation, but I had forgotten just how bad they were overall that day with the missed field goal, the, the, the poor punts. I mean, it was a huge, huge part of that win. Well, and, and then even when Willie Jackson had a couple of decent returns, Florida got penalized. I mean, they, they had, had like two or three blocks in the back, uh, on, on penalties. So, Tennessee dominated special teams uh, in that game, and then obviously in the trenches, both with the offensive and defensive lines, led by you know TK Senior, and then a big group of, of hefty O linemen. Yeah, I mean it, it really was. I mean it was kind of an ugly game, Austin. When you look at the number of penalties, and obviously the rain changed that. But even before then, it was Tennessee couldn't really throw it. Uh, they were running it, and, and Florida, you know, with Eric Red out there, was in a five-wide, you know, set a lot of times that let, let the defensive ends tee off. But it was not a thing of beauty when you talk about great, you know, great played games. It was just such a significant game for Tennessee uh, because of what, to me, what it meant coming down the road. Well, you also just had some big momentum swings. You had the block punt early, then obviously – the, the long pass to Mose, and then eventually the kind of whirling dervish spinner Rooney backed into the, you know, for that final touchdown by Heath. Um, you know, it, it had plays that, you know, I guess got the crowd super jacked. And so, um, you're right. I mean, it wasn't the, it wasn't a, a testament to execution, but at the end of the day, it was a, it was a game that had a lot of indelible moments. Um, that, that fans can recall because the rain made it that way. If it stays sunny, the game probably doesn't play out the same way. But at the same time, it, the memories aren't maybe not as fresh. The, the fact that it was a coming a monsoon and there were, you know, you know, a foot of water on the sidelines because the drains couldn't handle the amount of, of, of rain, you know, made the memories, made the moment um, stand the test of time, in my opinion. One underrated play. 
uh, by Heath. You know, his his second touchdown run was was obviously one that a lot of folks remember. But his the, he only completed two passes in the first half, and the second completion set up that field goal right before halftime. And it was basically yep. this wild jump pass <laughs> where he was about to get creamed, had just kind of escaped some pressure, and ended up being a huge completion because it set up kind of a, a, a gimme field goal that they were able to go up two scores um, and clearly gave the Vols a bunch of momentum kind of heading into uh, halftime. I just have a question for y'all because this is something now in terms of the legacy of this game. If Tennessee hypothetically doesn't win this game, if if Phillip goes on and he, he, he's successful the rest of the, of the season, but if they don't win this game, but they obviously did beat Georgia the weekend before, is he the coach at Tennessee – you know, at the end of the season, because the all the announcers were pretty clear in both broadcasts, Philip Fulmer is about to become a head coach. Now, is it going to be at Tennessee or is it going to be somewhere else? It, it the, the, the hypotheticals of what happens if they don't beat Florida, does he kind of have the, the ammunition to get that job, I think is kind of interesting. You know, Rob, I think, I, I mean, you were around, AP, you were around too, but, but Rob and I are, I guess, a little bit older. You were probably kicking out some slats out of your crib at the time or close to it. But no. You're a little bit older than that. You know, the thing, Rob, that jumps out to me about that, that deal is for after that game, after the Florida win is when the fan sentiment really started building that, hey, we can't lose Philip Fulmer because they had aggressively offensively, they, they beat Georgia offensively because they couldn't stop him defensively. It was the offense that won it. He's the offensive coach. And then they beat Florida and here's Tennessee beating you know, Georgia and Florida back-to-back weeks, it really started that public sentiment for Philip Fulmer. I think this game dramatically changed the landscape of what was going to happen next. I agree. I mean, and I think you have to combine it with the Georgia game. I think you know, if, you don't win, if you don't win both of those, uh, I don't think the groundswell is, is there. But I can you – know, I'm, not, I'm not saying I vividly remember anything, but I remember it being like the fan base, there being a lot of pro-Fulmer sentiment. And I think it's also coupled with the fact that you know, Johnny, for, for all he did and for the legend he is, I mean, it wasn't like he, I don't think he was universally, you know, loved. I mean, this was a, this is a fickle fan base and there been, you know, 89, 90, 91 had been really good years, but I mean, Johnny had been up and down all over the map, you know, in, well, in the previous and they decade. Hadn't, they hadn't beaten Alabama. Okay. Let's yeah. face it. And at that point in time, no offense to Steve Spurrier in Florida, that rivalry just kind of started in 90 and had not taken on the significance because 92 was the first year of divisional splits. So up until 92, the whole, the whole mindset was you got to beat Alabama, you got to beat Alabama. And that was Johnny's nemesis. He, you know, he had tightened up in the Alabama game and we don't even talk about the 90 game, but so many of those games through the years where Tennessee was as good or better than Alabama, they didn't get it done because he didn't coach very well in those games. Leading up to that game, he was not great. So you're right. I think a lot of people had wondered if, if it had run its course a little bit. Jesse, back to your play about the Heath-Schuler play that I think was uh, worth noting. To me, Austin, if you ever want to know how strong Heath-Schuler's arm is, it's that play. It's that completion. Yeah, I mean, because, look, his feet's not under him. That is all arm that he throws that rope uh, you know, down the field there for that field goal drive. Yeah, you're exactly right, and, and that's the thing. It's Heath had an extremely strong arm. I mean, everybody loves to talk about. Uh, everybody used to make the, the joke with, with Jonathan Crompton, Mountain Values or Mountain Tough or whatever it was. Mountain Values, AP, <laughs> come on. That, oh yeah, well, uh, you know, I, point is, I mean, modified 
all that. I mean, this is the same guy that, you know, when we were having, adding him to this podcast was out digging a, digging a trench in his, in, at his new house himself. You know, he, he's pretty well off. He can afford to pay somebody, but you know, the work ethic that he learned as a kid is, is, is still there very uh, prevalent today. So, um, th- this is, you know, not a shock that, you know, he, he was able to make that throw under the duress. And, and really, I thought, you know, was a big moment, as Jesse pointed out, because it did give my favorite vol kicker of all time, John Bexport, um, of Jeff the Hall. water balloon bandit. So I love John Bexport. <laughs> John lives down in Chattanooga now. John's a big golfer. Um, but, uh, love to, uh, you know, made, made that, you know, field goal way easier than it could have been there right before the half. Yeah, it certainly was a big moment there. Other big moments in this game, there's plenty of them, including that 67-yard run to Mose Phillips. We're going to talk to Mose Phillips and Heath Schuler about those plays and about that game. That's coming up next on the Blue Water, Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast on this Rocky Top Rewind edition. We review that 1992 game with star fullback slash running back Mose Phillips. And Mose, you've got one of the more iconic plays in that 92 Florida game. Of course, down in, you know, about a 60-yard shooter in the rain. Uh, just kind of take me through, you know, when that play call came in, what are you thinking are you expecting, you know, the ball on that particular play? Where were you in the progression? Well, actually, it was a, well, I don't want to say a special moment, but uh, Cutter Former pulled me over. He was like, uh, I need you to go in, and I just need you to catch the ball in the flats to get the first down. I said, okay, we want you to play the fullback spot, because, you know, I played tailback too. He said, just catch it, get the first down. Uh, slipped out the backfield. The defensive end kind of dodged him. He was too busy trying to get after Heath, and, he threw it to me over there in the rain, turned up, caught a good block from Mark Adams, I believe it is, and downfield blocking and was able to take it to the house. So, of course, the camera cuts away to the, the stands as, you know, you cross the goal line. Then when it cuts back to you, you kind of give that iconic moment where you look down at your wrist. What were you thinking? I mean, I think I know what you were thinking, but I'll let you kind of explain <laughs> it to the listeners out there. And did you realize that all these years later – that moment in time, that that two seconds that you pause, stop, look down at the wrist, would be as iconic as it is. Never thought in a million years. I tell you what, uh, two things happened on that day. Okay. Uh, spoke to my mom, and she had told me she had a dream that my first touchdown would be 66 yards, like the Phillips 66 gas back in the day, and that's what she told me. <laughs> Not thinking, but not thinking much about that, and I believe that that run was about 66 yards. But the second part of it, a lot of people don't know, uh, Charlie Cole, who's my running back coach at the time, me and him had been kind of going back and forth because if you can look back at that season, I carried the ball sometimes down to the one or two yard line, and we had two launch where little man would jump over the top and land in the end zone. So me and yep. him just go at it all the time, me and the position coach. He like, well, if you want to score, you just carry from out. You know what I mean? Carry from 20, 30 yards out. So me looking down at my watch is telling him it's about time I get my touchdown. So never knew in a million years. And years before that, I don't know if y'all know about the Reggie Cobb run against Auburn. He stopped in the end zone and crossed his arms, you know. And Reggie Cobb was a good friend of mine. He just passed away. Rest in peace, Reggie. And uh, I remember him doing that when I was getting recruited. So I wanted to make a staple of something. So I just looked down at my watch like it's about time. 
so for you, when you buy, when you go back and you see that highlight, does it bring a smile to your face to this day? Yeah, uh, it does some now. Uh, I got a son who's a freshman in high school, and um, you know he's playing football now. So a lot of people tease him about, you know, you know how good your dad was, you know. I really never show the highlights to him or anybody else. Just as my kids have gotten older now, they look back at it. So every now and then I see it with them, and, you know, it'll bring a smile to the face. Cause I know, and also it was a good time for Florida to go home too, baby, back in '92. Yeah, normally uh, the Gators farewell in water, but not on that day. Take, take me through, <laughs> you know, obviously there were several big moments in that in that game. Um, you know, Heath had a couple of nice touchdown runs. Um, little man had a touchdown run on that day. Uh, you guys just dominated them on the ground. I mean, it was it was impressive, uh, impressive showing. But the offensive line that you had, and then the stable of backs plus Heath, who was his own version of a of a running back. Um, you know, you you guys just were special in that regard. Yeah, he was a dual threat really before the dual threat kicked in back in the day. You know, so it was a real special day. Uh, it started out a pretty day if you go back and look at the film. It was it was nice guys when kick off and everything yeah, was nice. Yeah, it was very sunny. <laughs> real nice. Then the the rain came in out of nowhere. And this is what I used to always tell people. Me and Coach Cole used to always laugh. He like, you ain't one of the fastest running backs I've seen, but people really can't catch you. I said, well, the thing about it is, Coach, when you get in the rain, everything's equal. You know, when you get in the rain, everybody moves at the same speed. So you got to watch your foot and things like that. So throughout that day, you know, when the rain came in, I said, this is my kind of game right now. Imano, Imano. So – Back to the screen pass. When you, when you take that and and you know you're going to score, probably. What, what's kind of going through your mind those last thirty yards, as the rain's just pouring down? Not getting caught. You know, at that time I didn't know who was behind me or who was beside me. I was just trying to get the end zone. And actually, I, I started celebrating it about ten yards out. And I think it was a Florida player behind me that possibly could have got me at about the three. When I started celebrating, he just pulled on up. And uh when I went to the end zone, uh, to see all the fans that were still in the end zone doing that game was real big because it was raining real hard. It was about, yeah. about almost six inches of rain on the sideline, so it was pretty big. All right, so let's re- that's the 92 game, but let's also recap the career. Um, you have one of the most iconic runs that no one ever talks about, and it's because of a game that Tennessee <laughs> lost. Um, you know, at South Carolina, and I think maybe it, it, you could debate what's John Ward's greatest call. But I think the call of him where he says Phillips runs, I can't remember the quote verbatim, but, you know, over, underneath, around. I mean, he, he gives every adjective on the earth to describe how you scored. <laughs> when, you, when you go back, is, is that is that a, a highlight that personally for you, I know that you lost the game, but personally for you really was, was a moment of pride because it kind of showcased what kind of running back you were. Well, I think at that time, it meant a lot to me because um, the history of that is before then, as you know, I came out of high school as a quarterback. So transitioning to running back took some work and uh, had to learn a lot of things at the running back position. But Johnny Majors used to stay on me a lot about drop step, you know, crossover step, Phillips, and a lot like that. And actually one practice, he made me run a play seven times in a row. And uh, the good thing about it is after I made that run, we actually had a team meeting that next week, and he pulled me up in front of the team and told the team that if everybody had effort like Phillips, you know, we'd be a special ball club. So to get that transition from him ripping me to 
him giving me credit made a big difference. And I don't know if you know that game, they was actually filming the movie, the program. Yeah, that's right. And I used to tell people, I thought Halle Berry might have been in the stands, and I want to give her a little something, you know, to think about, you know, when I was scoring. (laughs) But uh, that run, then years later, you know, I got contacted by some people, said that I believe that 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 run John Ward is commentating is in a, a country song. I can't think of it right now, but he's commentating in the back. So that made it pretty special. So what are you doing these days? Still coaching high school ball over in Nashville? Coaching high school football at Cane Ridge High School under uh, my head coach is Eddie Woods, a guy from Memphis. Memphis Merrill's High School, actually. He played at TSU, a real good friend of mine. He's the head coach here at Cane Ridge High School. I'm defense coordinator. And, you know, within the past five years, we've compiled a 50 and 11 record, you know, so that's not too bad with a state appearance three years ago, two years ago. So, you know, we're working hard at Cane Ridge. Well, good deal, Mose. Well, I appreciate you joining the podcast this week and, uh, can't wait to see you up here on Rocky Top for a reunion here soon. Anytime. I appreciate it. Welcome back to the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast. Our Rocky Top rerun continues, and we welcome to the program the quarterback of that 1992 Florida game, Heath Schuler. Heath, thanks for joining us. I, I want to, before we get to the actual Florida game, I want to talk about what that week was like coming off of the Georgia win, where, where you guys upset George and Athens. You had a big fourth down play. Knoxville's a buzz about you guys. How hard was that week with all the pats on the back you were getting leading up to the Florida game? Well, it wasn't too difficult when you had uh, David Cutcliffe and Philip Former as a, as a coaching staff that was just hard press on stay focused and, you know, worry about the, the, the next game. Uh, and obviously Florida was obviously highly ranked and you know, we had a big game ahead of us. It didn't take much to, to realize the difficulty and challenges we were faced. What was it about that Florida team when you think back on that game, you think back about, you know, maybe the preparation, you and Coach Cutcliffe, some of your discussions. What was the biggest challenge with that Florida defense? Well, they were good across the entire front. Their front seven were really strong. And then their secondary were challenging us because of their, their skills. I mean, they – their speed in the secondary. And I really believe that uh, it, it would have been an even more difficult game if it would not have rained. Uh, being on a dry surface and it not raining, um, it may have caused us more of a challenge. And, uh, you know, I would hope that the game, the outcome would have been the same, but it may not have been. Um, uh, the good Lord was looking out for us that day when it started, the monsoon came in. He took me through, you know, your two touchdown runs in that game. Um, you know, both kind of sprint outs off the edge. How important for the offense that you were running then were that you had like Mose Phillips, Aaron Hayden made a key block on that first touchdown run. Uh, you had really good wide receivers that blocked downfield. Um, how, how important were those guys to your success? Well, I think it was, it really is a, you know, obviously the team effort. I mean, we up front, we had a great offensive line. But I think it was keeping, it was the kind of, once we got in the red zone, uh, we changed offensively. I mean, we could go to a five wide spread and then, then the next series of plays or once we got into the red zone, we could go to a three backs, uh, with, you know, Little Man and, uh, Aaron Hayden and Charlie Garner. Those, all those guys could actually, you know, that whole running backs and Mose Phillips. I mean, all of those guys could actually, 
they could play wide receiver. They could play in the running back. So it made, it kept the defensive coordinators really off balance because they didn't know if he was going to throw the ball, run the ball or run our option game. And that's what, what was pretty cool about it. I think that one play you're talking about when Aaron makes a good block, David Horn blocks off the, the end. And then, um, Craig Faulkner makes a really good block on the outside as well. Those type of plays were designed runs and sometimes they were options. And that's why Aaron, you could see, look, all of a sudden, bam, he makes a, a cut block. And then it, it's easy to run the ball in when you have, a, um, you know, you, you really keep the defense because they thought we were going to throw it. If you can see they start backpedaling, the more they backpedaled, the, it gave us an opportunity to run the ball. You know, Heath, when you talk about the rain in, in that game, I think the amazing thing was it, it didn't rain on Kingston Pike. Like five yeah. miles from the stadium, it never rained. That, that rain never left in the second half. Have you ever been a part of anything that wet? And how did you handle the football? And because I think you had one snap, one fumbled snap, but there was a penalty on the play, so it was a, it was a dead ball play. Anyway, how hard was it to handle it, and what did you do to keep yourself from being able to, or to allow yourself to, to, to manage the game in the rain like that? It's rain I've never seen. I was in the stands. I've I've never been that wet in my life, I don't think. Well, Brett, you remember the game even more vividly than I do. But, yeah, I think it was just, you know, like, you just try to focus. I mean, and Cutcliffe was always a stickler on Thursday practices. That was called the wet ball drill. And so we would take snaps, whether it be shotgun snaps or under center, and it was a heavy ball, and it had been used week after week, and it had no tread on it. You couldn't get a grip on it. And not only did you have to catch it, you would throw it. You'd catch it and throw it, or you'd get under center, take the snap, and throw. And we kind of found out that I realized at that point in time, if the ball is wet, your hand needs to be wet. If the ball is dry, your hand dry. And having one or the other makes a slick ball. And so um, just grab the ball and throw it. I, I think if you worry about it being wet, then it, it becomes a mental block. And if you just don't worry about it, then just grip it and throw it and you know, know that you got to get ball security first. And, and that started on practice. And uh, you, you, oftentimes we, we kind of dread practices sometimes. You're like, oh, my goodness, we're another practice, another practice. But it's all those small details and things that we were doing in practice that prepared us for the games on Saturday. And, and the wet ball drill is, is one of those. But as far as the rain, coolers were floating on the sidelines. <laughs> I remember our guys to try to, you know, keep your, you know, They'd stand up on the uh, the bench in order to keep out of the almost knee high water. The drains would not were weren't taking the ball away from the stadium, and it looked like waterfalls coming down the the, uh, the stands and the steps um, there at the stadium. So I mean, it was a lot of rain, uh, but just keeping our eyes focused. I mean, just focused on not the rain, focus on the task at hand and and, and ball security. When you look back, was it was it kind of like playing as a kid? I mean, you're playing in this torrential downpour. You know, obviously Moses got the big play, and we talked with him about this. Um, and you kind of, you know, just throw your hands up in the air as you're running down. And then, of course, your your last touchdown run, you kind of whirling dervish, spun around, and, and I think in the backing end of the end zone, um, you know, in, in a downpour play. Um, can you look back and go, man, that was just, I mean, it's almost like backyard kid ball to a degree, just with the, the kind of the elements going on. Well, I mean, that's why you have Moe's Phillips on your team. There's no better teammate that I have to, to enjoy the game and to say something that could be just, you know, you're still focused and you're still enjoying it, but during timeouts, Moe's Phillips is always the guy that kind of 
put you a little bit at ease. Hey, we got this. He would say something that was just absolutely hilarious and, and oftentimes, but for, you know, and, and I don't know if you, when you watch the game, the entirety and you watch him at the very end, he kind of looks to his watch to say it's about time. And, uh, all that week, he wanted to run that screenplay. I mean, that was what he lived for. Um, because, I mean, it was set up pretty pretty good. And so Moe's to get that little screenplay and go the distance. I mean, I don't know, was it 65 yards? We didn't throw 66. the ball. 66 yards. I mean, so we didn't throw the ball, you know, what, eight, nine times, seven, eight, nine times the whole game. Um, but, you know, keeping them off balance, they thought we was going to run, thought we was going to throw a deep ball at that particular time. And we, we dumped it off and, uh, you know. Yeah. It helps the completion percentage when you you don't have to throw about eight or nine and complete that many. <laughs> hey, Heath, I've got to ask you. I mean, a lot of people knew Charlie Garner had some talent before that game, but it seemed like that was kind of the game where Charlie said to all of the fans and kind of announced to everybody, "I'm pretty good," because his balance in the wet on the on the wet turf was pretty incredible. Where, what was your first recollection of Charlie when he got there? And how good was he in those conditions with the way he could could stay on his feet, given how wet it was? I'll never forget calling my dad uh, back home, and he says, uh, well, how was the the Garner kid? I said, one of the most incredible running backs. I've never seen anybody move laterally the way he does. I mean, he could go straight ahead, stop on a dime, and, and go right or left. To me, that was just, I mean, it was another dimension to our uh, to our offense. I mean, he catches the ball extremely well. And Charlie had this cool thing that, that, uh, I said, never get me in trouble, Charlie. But he would whoop to me. He'd go whoop, whoop if he was open. And he literally, I could turn and throw to him. If I would, I could hear him, you know, 100,000 fans, no matter where we were, I could hear him whoop to me. I don't know, call out to me during that, uh, during the game, and I, I, after the first time I threw it, I kind of spun and just threw it to him, and he come back and says, I said, don't ever let me be wrong. I said, don't do that unless you're wide open. And I could hear him. I mean, it didn't matter where, what stadium we were playing, I could hear Charlie Garner doing that, where I could throw him the ball. And if you that year, I think all the receivers had 30 or 40, or at the upper 30 catches, uh, Craig Falter, and the running backs, if you remember how many times they caught the ball out of the backfield, I mean, you got Little Man and Aaron Hayden and, and Charlie Garner and most of all of those guys. I mean, a it was hard to keep them all happy, right? But they were selfless. If they really wanted to just go out and play, and so when they got their opportunity, they all four of those guys performed at an extremely high level. The most difficult job of that entire year was Randy Sanders. Had those guys as a young college what? First or second year coach as a position coach, he had he had those guys as so that may be the most challenging job he's ever had. Is, has there been a more stacked backfield? I mean, you know, when you look at just what everybody ended up going and doing, Charlie played for you know a decade in the league. Little man, Aaron obviously uh, got derailed by injury, but played in the league for for for, for a few years. Um, you know, and then you know Mose was super talented. Um, and then, of course, I mean, you know, you were, the, you know, as everybody loves to say, you were the dual threat. You were Michael Vick before Michael Vick. So, um, you know, just, I guess, pick your poison, right? Well, I think that's why it made it challenging for our um, 
uh, the opposing teams. They didn't know what we were going to do. They didn't know who they couldn't key on one running back. They couldn't key on the pass. They couldn't key on the run. So, and then we had great wide receivers. I mean, you know, as time went on, you know, we, we had a couple of hiccups along the way, but I mean, we had some challenges, but, um, you know, that was probably more of the off-field challenges oftentimes than it was the on-field challenges that we had, not from the players, but just, you know, what was going wrong, long or, you know, with uh, Coach Majors and Coach Former, that was a, always a, that was a contentious issues uh, that we had to deal with. Um, you know, and the team, we remained focused as we possibly could, but, I mean, we'd like to have a couple of those games back that year. You know, Heath, I don't want to go down that road and, and dive into all of that stuff, but I do want to ask this. Coming out of the fact that you won at Georgia the previous week and then you upset Florida at home and really handled Florida at home in a lot of ways, what was the locker room like with Coach Fulmer? I know as offensive players, you knew him, but the defensive guys, he was not their coach. Can you just kind of talk about how you saw the locker room grow with him during that that, that couple of weeks and and kind of the confidence that was exuded as a result of winning? Well, I think it's it's very similar to what's happening on campus now. I mean, there's that sense of confidence, that sense of uh, stability, that sense of you know we're behind you. It's easy. It's it, it's obviously contagious when you're winning, right? Uh, so when you win games, you know you get collectively you start getting behind somebody. And it had nothing to do from a player's perspective not liking Coach Majors because we all love Coach Majors and Coach Former both. I mean, they were different coaches in their own way. Um, Philip was more kind of a player's coach and Johnny was like, you know, love his seniors. So those seniors were, you know, still very much, you know, um, in, in Johnny Majors' corner, if you will, when we would have those discussions in the locker room. And it had our challenges, but I think winning <clears throat> and then we saw the division between what was happening publicly and what was happening internally with the university that it actually brought our team closer together. Uh, ironically enough, after a loss, you would think that it would divide our team, but it actually brought us uh, more, you know, a, a more close knit group. And we realized that it wasn't about whichever coach it was going to be. It was going to be the most important thing is those uh, players on our team and who's wearing the orange jerseys. And, and we had to prepare ourselves regardless of who was going to be the coach. Did you sense could uh, from from a public standpoint, did you sense kind of the growing momentum with coach majors or was, was it such practice and class and everything else that, it was just uh, you're not listening to any of that stuff. You didn't know kind of the public sentiment that was out there at that point in time. Well, thank God we didn't have social media at that point. I mean, that would have been probably more distracting for our players. Um, I think we did kind of keep focus. And I remember it's, it, it seemed like at that point in time, and that was right either right before the 20-hour rule week or or we didn't maybe pay that close attention. It seemed like we were far busier during those those few weeks of, of more, uh, uh, time, uh, at, you know, workouts. We, I think we added a, a route, a, a day of extra workouts. Uh, um, those type things, I think that from the university or the coaching standpoint, they were trying to do all they could to, to keep us focused on the, the game as opposed to well, the distractions off the field. You, you talk about the lack of social media then. Can you imagine? Social media with Kevin Mays and with some of those offensive linemen you had. 
let me tell you what, there was no greater, and all, I'm sure all quarterbacks can say that, but that was, that whole group had some real characters on it. I mean, if you just, I can just almost, I can close my eyes and look around that huddle and start to realize that, thank God we did not have social media. It was hard enough as a quarterback and a guy that tried to keep my guys not necessarily out of trouble, but out of mischief all the time with that entire group. Um, I was very fortunate when things, when they needed someone, they, they had, they would call me. So I don't know if they just knew I was always in my dorm room or I was studying film, but they knew how to get in touch with me regardless of what time it was at night. I was the guy that would come pick them up. Heath, my last question will let you go here is, is this, where does that game, that 92 Florida game, back to that game specifically, where does it rank in your mind? And how many times do you get asked about quote the rain game whenever you're talking to Tennessee fans? Yeah, there's probably two games that always come up. It's the Georgia game and that rain game. Those are the two. And I think that kind of set a precedence. You know, I think that started a tradition, you know, that uh, from that team's perspective. I mean, you know, Andy Kelly and those guys prior to uh, before us, I mean, they had done so well kind of getting us where we needed to be. I think it was kind of taking that next step. And I think that particular class, um, kind of my freshman class and that sophomore class that was above us uh, when I came in. I mean that we then become sophomores and juniors at that point in time. Then that's I think that's when that path to you know hopefully we had something to do with the the work ethic, the focus, the leadership, and and that pushed us to ultimately start winning a lot of football games in the nineties. All right, what are you doing these days? What are you up to? Navy's at at, at App State, so you get to be football dad, right? So yeah. What, what so, else is going yeah, on? I actually got to go to a practice, and uh, I said, well. I'm not going to talk to nobody. So I kind of, it was an yeah, open right. practice. So I went up, I went up in the stands and some guy walks up to me and goes, uh, can I see some credentials or, and I just said, Hey, I'm Navy's dad, you know? So, and it was like, Oh, you're Navy's dad. Great. Fine. Joy practice. And then I, I watched practice and then I waited on him um, after his practice, after he got out of the shower and we went to lunch and, and it couldn't be better. I mean, just to see him grow and mature and be able to, Go out and play and fulfill a dream has been just awesome. And, and so, um, but this is, this is what I do every day. I work from home. So, uh, um, I'm actually, I do business consulting and some, a lot of times with my companies that uh, I represent, well, I'll go see them, uh, as often as I can. I got co- companies throughout the U.S. And so I try not to travel as much. So I get to use the Skype and the Zoom more often. Uh, but it's, uh, it's been really good. I really enjoy what I'm doing, working with some great clients and great people. Uh, some great companies throughout the country. Well, I know I know you're proud of your career at Tennessee. I know you're proud of, uh, a proud dad as a football dad and a dance dad as well. So, hey, uh, listen, we 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 appreciate your time. Thanks for going down memory road for us here on the Blue Water Climate Control Volquest.com podcast. Heath, we appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys.